Welcome to episode number 464 of Hack the Planet. Back in 1898, H.G. Wells wrote War of the World. And in 1938, Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater brought you the radio version of War of the Worlds. Tonight, Hack the Planet presents War of the Worlds, drum and bass edition. The time is now 8 o'clock. We're going to celebrate 8 o'clock drum and bass association up front here to let the world know that we are celebrating the War of the Worlds. So on my mark, flash those lights one time, two times. Flash, flash. Enjoy tonight as we play War of the Worlds, brought to you by Hack the Planet. Oh, that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man, yet as mortal as his own. We know now that as human beings busy themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied, perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures, warm and multiply in a drop of water. Infinite complacency. People went to and fro over the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, spinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Yet across an immense ethereal gulf, minds that are to our minds, and ours that are the beasts in the jungle, intellect vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes, slowly and surely drew their plans against us. In the 39th year of the 20th century came the great disillusionment. Near the end of October, business was better. War scare was over. Four men were back at work. Sales were picking up. This particular evening, October 30th, the Crosley Service estimated that 32 million people were listening in on radio. Temperature. 
A slight atmospheric disturbance of undetermined origin is reported over Nova Scotia, causing a low-pressure area to move down rather rapidly over the northeastern states, bringing a forecast of rain accompanied by winds of light gale force. Maximum temperature 66, minimum 48. This weather report comes to you from the Government Weather Bureau. We take you now to the Mercy Merging Room in the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York, where you will be entertained by the music of Raymond Raquello and his office. interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving toward the Earth with enormous velocity. Professor Pearson of the observatory at Princeton confirms Farrell's observation and describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We now return you to the music of Ramon Raquello, playing for you in the Meridian Room of the Park Plaza Hotel, situated in downtown New York.
gentlemen, following on the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, the Government Meteorological Bureau has requested the large observatories of the country to keep an astronomical watch on any further disturbances occurring on the planet Mars. Due to the unusual nature of this occurrence, we have arranged an interview with a noted astronomer, Professor Pearson, who will give us his views on this event. In a few moments, we will take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, New Jersey. We return you until then to the music of Ramon Raquello and his orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Phillips speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton. Standing in a large semicircular room, pitch black except for an oblong split in the ceiling. Through this opening, I can see a sprinkling of stars that cast a kind of frosty glow over the intricate mechanism of the huge telescope. The ticking sound you hear is the vibration of the clockwork.
We are ready now to take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, where Carl Phillips, our commentator, will interview Professor Richard Pearson, famous astronomer. We take you now to Princeton, New Jersey. stands directly above me on a small platform peering through this giant lake. I'll ask you to be patient, ladies and gentlemen, during any delay that may arise during our interview. Besides the ceaseless watch of the heavens, Professor Pearson may be interrupted by telephone or other communication. During this period, he is in constant touch with the astronomical center of the world. In our questions. At any time, Mr. Professor, would you please tell our radio audience exactly what you see as you observe the planet Mars through your telescope? Nothing unusual at the moment, Mr. Phillips. A red disc swimming in a blue sea. Transverse stripes across the disc. Quite distinct now, because Mars has to be at the point nearest the Earth in opposition, as we call it. In your opinion, what do these transverse stripes signify, Professor? Not canals, I can assure you, Mr. Phillips. Although that's the popular conjecture of those who imagine Mars to be inhabited. From a scientific viewpoint, the stripes are merely the result of atmospheric conditions peculiar to the planet. Then you're quite convinced, as a scientist, that living intelligence as we know it does not exist on Mars? There's a chance it's against it or a thousand to one. And yet, how do you account for these gas eruptions occurring on the surface of the planet at regular intervals? Well, I cannot account for it. By the way, Professor, for the benefit of our listeners, how far is Mars from the Earth? Approximately 40 million miles. <laughs> well, that seems a safe enough distance.
out, ladies and gentlemen. Someone has just handed Professor Pearson a message. While he reads it, let me remind you that we, we are speaking to you from the observatory in Princeton, New Jersey, where we are interviewing the world-famous astronomer Professor Pearson. has passed me a message which he has just received. Uh, Professor, may I read the message to the listening audience? Certainly, Mr. Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall read you a wire addressed to Professor Pearson from Dr. Gray of the Natural History Museum, New York. Quote, 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Seismograph registered shock of almost earthquake intensity occurring within a radius of 20 miles of Princeton. Please investigate. Signed, Lloyd Gray, Chief of Astronomical Division. Unquote. Could this occurrence possibly have something to do with the disturbances observed on the planet Mars? Well, hardly, Mr. Phillips. This is probably a meteorite of unusual size, and its arrival at this particular time is merely a coincidence. However, we shall conduct a search as soon as daylight permits. Thank you, Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, for the past ten minutes, we've been speaking to you from the Observatory of Princeton, bringing you a special interview with Professor Pearson, Dr. Strong. This is Carl Phillips speaking. We are returning you now to our New York City.
Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News, Toronto, Canada. Professor Morris of Macmillan University reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now nearer home comes a special bulletin from Trenton, New Jersey. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m. a huge flaming object, believed to be a meteorite, fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Groversville, New Jersey, 22 miles from Trenton. The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles. The noise of the impact was heard as far off as Elizabeth. We have dispatched a special mobile unit to the scene. We'll have our commentator, Carl Phillips, give you a word picture of the scene as soon as he can reach there from Princeton. In the meantime, we take you to the Hotel Martinet in Brooklyn, where Bobby Millette and his orchestra are offering a program of dance music.
ladies and gentlemen, this is Carl Phillips again, out at the Wilmot Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Professor Pearson and myself made the 11 miles from Princeton in 10 minutes. Well, I hardly know where to begin. Thank you, a word picture of a strange scene before my eyes, like something out of a modern Arabian night. Well, I just got here. I haven't had a chance to look around yet. That's it, yes, I guess that's the thing directly in front of me. Half buried in a vast pit. Must have struck with terrific force. The ground is covered with splinters and tree. It must have struck on its way down. But I can see if the object itself doesn't look very much like a meteor. At least not the meteors I've seen. It looks more like a huge cylinder. Has a diameter of, um, uh, what would you say, Professor Pearson? What's that? Uh, what would you say, uh, what's the diameter of this? About 30 yards. About 30 yards. The metal on the sheet is, well, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of yellowish-white. Spectators now are pressing close to the object in spite of the efforts of the police to keep them back. They're getting in front of my line of vision. Uh, 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 would you mind standing one side, please? While the police are pushing the crowd back. Well, I ain't quite sure. I reckon I was 
kind of riled. Well, thank you, Mr. Wilmer. Thank you very much. Yes. No, that's quite all right. That's ready. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard Mr. Wilmer, owner of the farm, where this thing has fallen. I wish I could pay the atmosphere, the background of this fantastic scene. Hundreds of cars are parked in the field in back of us, and the police are trying to rope off the roadway leading into the farm, but it's no use. They're breaking right through. Cars' headlights throw an enormous spotlight on the pit where the objects have buried. Now, some of the more daring stories now are venturing near the edge. And the silhouettes stand out against the metal sheet. <laughs> One man wants to touch the thing. He's having an argument with a policeman. Now, the policeman wins. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's something I haven't mentioned in all this excitement, but it's becoming more distinct. Perhaps you've caught it already on your radio. Listen, please. Do you hear it? curious humming sound that seems to come from inside the object. I'll uh, move the microphone nearer. Here. Now, we're not more than 25 feet away. Uh, can you hear it now? Uh, Professor Pearson, Yes, uh, can you tell us the meaning of that scraping noise inside the thing? Possibly the unequal cooling of its surface. I say, do you still think it's a meteor, Professor? What do you think? The uh, metal casing is definitely extraterrestrial. Uh, not found on this earth. Friction with the earth's atmosphere usually tears holes in a meteorite. This thing is smooth. And you can see a cylindrical uh, shape.
nothing's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. This end of the thing is beginning to flake off. The top is beginning to rotate like a screw, and this thing must be hollow.
Bill Wall, the judge, as well as God. From here, I get a sweep of the whole case. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. More state police will arrive and join up a cordon in front of the pit. I'll search them. No need to push the guard back now. They're willing to keep their distance.
Gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Groversville. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. now with our piano interlude. Save yourself. 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 Save your
time, further details of the catastrophe of Grover's Mill are coming in. The strange creatures, after unleashing their deadly assault, crawled back in their pit and made no attempt to prevent the efforts of the firemen to recover the bodies and extinguish the fire. The combined fire departments of Mercer County are fighting the flames which menace the entire countryside. gentlemen, I have just been informed that we have finally established communication with an eyewitness of the tragedy. Professor Pearson has been located at a farmhouse near Grover's Mill, where he has established an emergency observation post. As a scientist, he will give you his explanation of the calamity. The next voice you hear will be that of Professor Pearson, brought to you by Direct Wire. Professor Pearson. Of the origin of the heat ray. 
Informing us that the charred body of Carl Phillips has been identified in the Trenton Hospital. Now here's another bulletin from Washington, D.C. The office of the director of the National Red Cross reports 10 units of Red Cross emergency workers have been assigned to the headquarters of the state militia, stationed outside of Grover's Mill, New Jersey.
object lies in a pit directly below our position, surrounded on all sides by eight battalions of infantry, without heavy field pieces, but adequately armed with rifles and machine guns. All cause for alarm, but the cause ever existed, is now entirely unjustified. Things, whatever they are, do not even venture to poke their heads above the pit. See their hiding place plainly in the glare of the searchlight here. With all their reported resources, these creatures can scarcely stand up against heavy machine gun fire. Make out their cocky uniforms, crossing back and forth in front of the light. Looks almost like a real war. There appears to be some slight smoke in the woods bordering the Millstone River, probably fire started by camp. Well, uh, you ought to see some action soon. One of the companies is deploying on the left flank. A quick thrust and it'll all be open. metal, kind of a steel-like affair rising up out of the cylinder, going higher and higher. But it's, it's standing on legs, actually rearing up on a sort of metal framework. Now it's reaching above the trees and the searchlights are on it. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes to the inescapable assumptions that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmland tonight are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The battle which took place tonight at Grover Mill has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by an army in modern times. 7,000 men armed with rifles and machine guns hit it against the single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. The rest strewn over the battle area from Grover's Mill to Plainsboro, crushed and trampled to death under the metal feet of the monster, or burned to cinders by people. now in control of the middle section of New Jersey and has effectively cut the state to its center. Communication lines are down from Pennsylvania to the Atlantic Ocean. 
Railroad tracks were torn and service from New York to Philadelphia discontinued, except routing some of the trains through Allerton and Phoenixville. Highways to the north, south, and west are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable to control the mad flight. I'm warning the fugitives will have swelled Philadelphia, Camden, and Trenton. It is estimated to twice their normal population. Martial law prevails throughout New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania. time we take you to Washington for a special broadcast on the national emergency. The Secretary of the Interior. Secretary of the Interior speaking for Washington.
bulletins too numerous to read are piling up in the studio here. We're informed that the central portion of New Jersey is blacked out from radio communication due to the effect of the heat ray upon power lines and electrical equipment. Here's a special bullet from New York. Cables have been received from English, French, and German scientific bodies offering assistance. Astronomers report continued gas outbursts at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The majority voiced the opinion that the enemy will be reinforced by additional rocket machines. attempts made to locate Professor Pearson at Princeton, who was observed marshals at close range. His theory was lost in the recent battle. Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report three Martian machines visible above treetops, moving north toward Somerville with population fleeing ahead of them. The heat ray is not in use, although advancing at express train speed, invaders pick their way carefully. They seem to be making a conscious effort to avoid destruction of cities and countryside. However, they stop to uproot power lines, bridges, and railroad tracks. Their apparent objective is to crush resistance, paralyze communication, and disorganize human society. second cylinder, similar to the first, embedded in the Great Swamp, 20 miles south of Morristown. Army field pieces are proceeding from Newark to blow up the second invading unit before the cylinder can be opened in the fighting machine rig. They are taking up a position in the foothills of Washington Mountain. Another, another, another Bolton from Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report enemy machines now three in number, increasing speed northward, kicking over houses and trees in their evident haste to form a conjunction with our allies south of Marstown. Machines also sighted by telephone operator east of Middlesex within 10 miles of Plainfield. Here's a bulletin from Winston Field, Long Island. A fleet of army bombers carrying heavy explosives flying north in pursuit of enemies. Scouting planes back to the sky. They keep the speeding enemy in sight.
Tim must have conquered Mossad Top. Worldwide must have conquered Mossad Top. wires to the artillery line in adjacent villages to give you direct reports from the zone of the advancing enemy. First, we take you to the battery of the 22nd Field Artillery, located in the Watching Mountains.
Batista. What's coming near us? That's the range. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Bayonne, New Jersey, calling Langham Field. Bayonne, New Jersey, calling Langham Field. Come in, please. Langham Field. Go ahead. Eight Army bombers in engagement with enemy tripod machines over Jersey Flats. Engines incapacitated by heat ray. All crashed. One enemy machine destroyed. Enemy now discharging heavy black smoke in direction of... New York, New Jersey. New York, New Jersey. Warning. Poisonous black smoke pouring in from Jersey Marshall. South Street. Gas mask useless. Earth population move into open spaces. Automobiles use route 7, 23, 24. Avoid congested areas. Smoke now spreading over, over Raymond Boulevard. Well, calling CQ, 2X to well, calling CQ, 2X to well, calling 8X3R, come in, please. This is 8X3R coming back at 2X2L. Eyes reception. Eyes reception. K, please. Where are you, 8X3R? What's the matter? Where are you? I'm speaking from the roof of the broadcasting building. I'm speaking from the roof of the broadcasting building, New York City. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as Martians approach. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. Hutchison River Parkway is still kept open for motor traffic. Avoid bridges to Long Island, hopelessly jammed. All communication with Jersey Shore closed ten minutes ago. No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, Air Force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. People are holding service here below us in the cathedral. Now I look down the harbor, all, all manner of boats overloaded with fleeing population pulling out from docks. Streets are all jammed. Noise and crowds like New Year's Eve in city. Wait a minute, the the enemy is now in sight above the Palisades. Five, five great machines. First one is crossing the river. I can see it from here, waiting. Waiting the Hudson like a man waiting through a brook. A bulletin is handed me. Martian cylinders are falling all over the country. One outside of Buffalo, one in Chicago, St. Louis. Seem to be time and space. 
watching, looking over the city. Eel Cowley's head is even with the skyscrapers. He waits for the others. Rise like a line of new towers on the city's west side.
time passed when there are no human hands left to wipe the clock. Writing down my daily life, I tell myself I shall preserve human history between the dark covers of this little book which is meant to record the movements of the stars. Write, I must live, and live, I must eat. Find moldy bread in the kitchen and orange for to swallow. Trying to wake up all the ghosts. Keep watch at the window. Time to time, I catch sight of a Martian above the black smoke. Smoke still holds the house in its black coil, but thanks to the hissing sound, and suddenly I see a Martian mounted on his machine, spraying the air with a jet of steam as if to dissipate the smoke. I watch in a corner as his huge metal legs nearly brush against the house. Exhausted by terror, I fall asleep. cloud of gas is lifted and scorched meadows to the north look as though a black snowstorm is there. I adventure from the house and make my way to a road, no traffic. Get in their wrecked car, baggage overturned with blackened skeletons. Push on north. For some reason I feel safer trailing these monsters running away. And I keep a careful watch. I've seen the Martians feed. If one of their machines appear over the top of trees, I'm ready to fling myself flat on the earth. Come to a chestnut tree. Chestnuts are right. So my pockets. Two days I wander in a vague northerly direction through a desolate world. Finally, I notice a living creature. A small red squirrel in a beech tree. I stare at him and wonder. He stares back at me. I believe at that moment the animal and I shared the same emotion. The joy of finding another living being. beyond the charred ruins of a dairy and silo made standing guard over the wasteland like a lighthouse. Certainly. 
tried the silo, purchased a weathercock, the arrow points north. Next day, I come to a city, city vaguely familiar in its contours, yet its building strangely dwarfed and leveled off as if the giant had sliced off its highest towers with a capricious sweep of his hand. Reached the outskirts on Newark. Newark, undemolished but humbled by some whim of the advancing Martians. I caught sight of something crouching in a doorway. I made a step towards it. Rose up and became a man. Man armed with a large knife. Stop! I come from many places. A long time ago, from Princeton. Milk. Yes. Over's milk. <laughs> There's no food here. This is my country. All this end of town down the river. There's only food for one. Which way are you going? I don't know. I guess I'm looking. People. What was that? Did we hear something just then? No. Only a bird. A live bird. You get to know that birds have shadows these days. Hey, we're in the open here. Let's crawl in this doorway here and talk. country in the world. Those green stars, they're probably falling somewhere every night. They've only lost one machine. There isn't anything to do. We're done. We're licked. Where were you? You're in a uniform. Yeah, what's left? I was in the militia. National Guard. <laughs> That's good. There wasn't any war. Any more than there's war between men and ants. Yes, but we're eatable ants. I found that out. What'll they do to us? I thought it all out. Right now, we're caught as we're wanted. The Martian only has to go a few miles to get a crowd on the run. If they won't keep on doing that. They'll begin catching us systematically, keeping the best and 
storing us in cages and things. They haven't begun on us yet. Begun? Not begun. All that's happened so far is because we don't have sense enough to keep quiet. Bothering them with guns and such stuff and losing our heads and rushing off in crowds. Ah, instead of our rushing around blind, we gotta fix ourselves up. Fix ourselves up according to the way things are now. Cities, nations, civilization, progress. Yes, but if that's so, what is there to live for? Well, there won't be any more concerts for a million years or so and no nice little dinners at restaurants. If it's amusement you're after, I guess the game's up. What is there left? Life, that's what. I want to live. Yeah, and so do you. We're not going to be exterminated. And I don't mean to be caught either. Tamed and fattened and bred like an ox. What are you going to do? I'm going on. Right under their feet. I got a plan. We men as men are finished. We don't know enough. We got to learn plenty before we got a chance. We've got to live and keep free what we learn, see? I've thought it all out, see? Don't tell me the rest. Well, it isn't all of us that are made for wild beasts. That's what it got to be. That's what it got to be. That's why I watched you. Watched you. All those little office workers that used to live in these houses, they'd be no good. They haven't any stuff in them. Run. Run off to work. I've seen hundreds of them running to catch their commuter's train in the morning. Afraid they could can if they didn't. Running back at night. Afraid they wouldn't be in time for dinner. Lives insured. A little invested in case of accidents. Yeah, on Sundays. Worried about the hereafter. Washington, they'll be a godsend for those. Nice roomy cages. Good food. Careful breeding. No worries. Yeah, for a week or so of chasing around the fields on empty stomachs. They'll come and be glad to be caught. You've thought it all out, haven't you? Sure, you bet I have. That is all. Washington's gonna make pets. Train them to do tricks. Who knows? Get sentimental over the pet boy who grew up and had to be killed. Hunt us. Yes, they will. There's men who do it flat. Meantime, you and I and others like us, where are we to live when the Martians own the earth? All live underground. I've been thinking about the sewers. Under New York, they're miles and miles up. The main ones, they're big enough for anybody. And there's some vaults, underground storerooms, railway tunnels, subways. We got a bunch of strong men together. No weakness. That rubbish, out. As you meant me. You attack. Won't quarrel about that. We gotta make safe places for us to stay in. Get all the books we can. Science books. That's where men like you come in. Great museums. We'll even spy on the marshes.
dark. Past a shooting gallery where a row of empty guns faces an arrested line of wooden ducks. Near Columbus Circle, I noticed models of 1939 motor cars in the showrooms facing empty streets. Over the top of the General Motors building, I watched a flock of black birds circling in the sky. Hurried on. Suddenly, I caught sight of the hood of a Martian machine, standing somewhere in Central Park, gleaming in the late afternoon sun. Same idea. I, I, I rushed recklessly across Columbus Circle and into the park. I, I climbed a small hill above the pond at 60th Street. And from there, I could see standing in a silent row along the mall, 19 of those great metal titans, their cowls empty, their steel arms hanging listlessly by their sides. I looked in vain for the monsters that inhabit those machines. Suddenly, my eyes were attracted to the immense flock of black birds that hovered directly below me. They circled to the ground. And there before my eyes, dark and silent, lay the Martians with the hungry birds pecking and tearing brown shreds of flesh. Later, when their bodies were examined in laboratories, it was found that they were killed by the putrefactive and diseased bacteria against which their systems were unprepared. Plain, after all, man's defenses have failed. And the humblest thing of God is wisdom put upon the surface. fell, there was general persuasion that through all the deep space, no life existed beyond the petty surface of our minute sphere. Now we see further, dim and wonderful vision I've conjured up in my mind of life spreading slowly from this little seedbed of the solar system throughout the inanimate vastnesses of sidereal space, remote dreams. Maybe that the destruction of the Martians is only a reprieve to them and not to us. Future ordained breath.
stranger now seems to sit in my peaceful study in Princeton, writing down this last chapter of the record, gun at the deserted farm broken field. Strange to watch children playing in the streets. Strange to see young people strolling on the green where the new spring grass heals the last black scars of the brewster. Strange to watch the sightseers enter the museum where the dissembled parts of a Martian machine are kept on public view. Strange when I recall the time when I first saw it. Bright, clean cut, hard, silent, under the dawn of that last great day. Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen, out of character to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. Mercury Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo. Starting now, we couldn't soak all your windows and steal all your garden gates by tomorrow night, so we did the best next thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CBS. You'll be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it and that both institutions are still open for business. And remember, please, for the next day or so, the terrible lesson you learned tonight. That grinning, glowing globular invader of your living room is an inhabitant of the pumpkin patch, and if your doorbell rings and nobody's there, that was no Martian. It's Halloween. Shout out to everybody for tuning in. I'm DJ Five. This has been Hack the Planet, presenting War of the Worlds 2023 edition. Shout out to all the people tuning in, locking in. Big up. The Lady Fife. Technical issues abound tonight. To the Lady Fife, Little Fife, the deepest, darkest Murphy in the North. Shout out to the Grandma JG and the Grams, the DJs on the DL. 
put on the super cool. Shouts to Vinny, Johnny, Lucier, boyfriend, Jamila with the cream soda. More info about this show at DJ5.com. Thank you for locking in. One of our favorite shows of the year. Hack the Planet presents War of the Worlds. We'll see you all next week. Thanks a lot for rocking with us.